Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the latest edition of On The Beat Live, Inside Carolina's original live podcast. It's blown up a lot, folks, lately. Uh, we appreciate all the people listening and watching. We appreciate Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com taking care of us and sponsoring this show and taking care of Inside Carolina Premium subscribers and giving you that 10% off on some gear you might need now, you might need in a couple of days on Franklin Street. Make sure you check them out. When I come right back after the music, We'll have Greg Barnes, Dewey Burt, Taylor Viplis, and me and Gregory. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. It's on to be live. I'm on... Uh, since Dewey has uh, circled the globe to get to the game and get home, I'm going to go to you first, Dewey. Um, yeah. We talked after uh, the game in Cameron multiple times and texted and all, and I'm not sure that this game just doesn't make that game in Cameron a month ago a far distant memory. What a night in New Orleans on Saturday. You know, it's so remarkable that uh, I still feel the adrenaline from the game. You know, we're approaching 24 hours and and little sleep for any of us that were in New Orleans. Um, it is uh, it is the biggest win in Carolina history outside of our national championships, and I think that's a fair statement. And it's a discussion actually I had with some of my teammates last night as we were having drinks after the game. Is this the biggest win program history other than the seven banners? And unequivocally, the answer was yes. It's a weird thing, and we'll get into it. There's an argument to be made that even if they win tomorrow, that yesterday's win was even bigger. There's an argument to be made. I don't know if that's true or not, or it's going to be subject to opinion, but uh, it's just remarkable. Um, the pressure that was on both sets of kids, I thought was palpable at the beginning of the game. They were both tight, missing some easy shots. Um, but certainly the last couple minutes of the first half and then the second half was as good a basketball as you would, could ever want to watch. Impartial fan or uh, obviously somebody with a vested interest or a former player or whatever. There's as good a half of basketball as I can ever remember witnessing. Um, and the shot making down the stretch, uh, just, just remarkable. That's the word that keeps coming into my mind is, is remarkable. The resilience of our kids, the way they've come together as a unit and that they've done it and that it has clicked in this six weeks or whatever the, the proper calendar mentioning is, uh, it is the most remarkable thing that I have seen since I've been part of the program. I agree with you there. The, the second half, just amazing basketball the last five minutes uh, i mean there's a youtube of just the last three minutes and 42 seconds and it's oscar worthy trevor keels three manic three window more three 
two free throws, Caleb Love three, Baycott fouls out. It's like it's insane. It, it is uh and the environment in the building, Greg and Vip, and I'll start with you, Greg. I mean, you guys were down there right at it. I mean, up in the stands, it, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, what was it like just on the court or, or court side seeing it from up there? Yeah, you know, I've covered well over 500 Carolina basketball games. Um, I've covered, let's see, I was thinking about the other night, maybe 35 Carolina Duke games. And uh, rarely, if ever, do you feel the the tension um, and, and do you kind of take a moment to appreciate the moment, right? National championship games, for sure. Uh, I did it at Cameron. And you could, you could feel the tension in that building on that night. But that was a unique setup because all the pressure in that game was on Duke. Carolina had no pressure on them and Cameron. It was different last night. I know a lot of people thought that and still believe that all the pressure was on Duke. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. Getting to the Final Four is an achievement in itself. Your season is a success if you get to the Final Four. Uh, the fact that this was a Carolina Duke game, however, uh, the first one, I mean, these teams had played 331 NCAA tournament games before last night and yet had never played. That is remarkable to me. It's just it's incredible. And I, I feel like we're going to wear out the word remarkable, uh, do we? But for that to occur in that setting, I think there was a lot of pressure on the guys because they didn't want to lose that game because it is the biggest game in the best rivalry of this sport. And then when you add in whoever wins gets to play for the national championship, I think there was pressure on both of them. Um, and as Dewey said, you, you could tell that they were nervous early. Everybody in that building was. I mean, it was electric. It, it was incredible to, to be able to experience that. Um, and what we saw in the second half, I know everybody listening to this uh, clearly wanted Duke to lose, but neither of those two teams deserved to lose. I mean, it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal game. Uh, and they've got another tough one ahead on, on Monday, of course. But uh, they have to feel good about it. And talking to the guys after the game, uh, I mean, they, they were ready to go again. They were not tired. They were stoked. They had another 40 minutes in them. And it was, it was very fun to see. Yeah, and I was, I was right next to Greg. I haven't covered – as many games as Greg has covered. Obviously, uh, that was my first Duke-UNC game that I've ever covered, and the first Duke-UNC game that I've been at um, since graduating from Carolina in, in 2016. Um, but every possession in that game, you, you could feel every possession amplified. It felt like, you know, everyone was life and death. The, the Duke crowd, I, I want to give credit to the Duke crowd, they were really loud that entire game to the point where it, it felt like uh, it was like it was maybe 60-40 Duke. And when, when the Duke team started to get going, that building was, was really loud and, and really pro-Duke. Um, but I think North Carolina, they, they, really, they really held tough. I think when you watch Duke play, it, it's, it's really strange watching them because – they play with like such control that it feels like they're always up like five or six points um, just with how much talent they have on the court. And then you look up at the score and it's like, 
a two point game or, or Carolina is even up by one. And it, it, it just didn't feel like Carolina was going to pull that game off until Caleb Love hit that big three to put the lead up to four. And then I think everybody kind of that, all that nervous energy that Carolina fans had built up, it, it quickly flipped the switch to like, Oh my God, this is, this is actually happening right now. And I think it was, it was a, a really cool experience to, to be a part of. It was, it was two great teams, um, well-coached. And I think the, my favorite part watching this North Carolina team and, and covering this North Carolina team right now is that you can see them, you could see them taking on the identity of, of their head coach. It's, it's a team that's, they're passionate, they're, they have energy, they have toughness all the things that people were questioning about them in this early part of the season. And I think I keep going back to saying like, I can't believe that North Carolina, you know, won this game or is on this run right now. But the more you think about it, this is who this team has been for a month and a half, two months now where they do look like the best team in the country. Yeah. I mean, going back to the atmosphere part, um, watching Kansas and Villanova in person being there. I mean, it's a great – it's just a huge matchup. But it just felt like that's not why we were here. It, it was. It felt like being in the building – Felt like the JV game. It was yeah, under card. I mean – It was It was like watching the credit the, the, pre, the pre-movie trailers yeah. before the movie starts. And it was a Final Four game with two story programs. And Kansas played well, too. And Kansas looked really good doing it. But then, you know, when that game was over, the tension in that building just ramped up so so ridiculously. And and Dewey, to Vip's point, I mean, we talked a lot all year about this team. And there were times where we were extremely harsh on them. I was. Um, I know that other people were. And Hubert Davis just said, stay the course. He, he repeated himself over and over. He talked about today in the pressers why he repeats himself saying everything. And it stuck at some point. But to then to go out and do it on that stage and to do it in that environment, in that arena last night, um, I think it speaks to the world about that man's ability to motivate and that man's ability to get his players um, to play to the best of their ability. And that is what makes a great coach, in my opinion. You can be the greatest X and O guy in the world. If you can't get them to play – to the top level of their abilities doesn't really matter. Yeah, he's he's got them where I'm reminded of something that Coach Williams used to say. He's got them where they'd rip the nails out of the floor for him if he asked them. Right, that's an that's an old Coach Williams ism that he used to talk about. And um, these kids are so loyal and devoted to him as as their coach that they uh, they're so locked in as a unit. We talked a lot about. Uh, after the St. Peter's game, when they made the final four, the reasons they've been able to go on this run. And one of the questions that someone asked you to ask me was, who is the most important player on the team? And I responded that you cannot choose that one person, right? This is a, this is a unit now that the sum of its parts and the way they're playing together uh, is... It's, it is truly about all five of them. Um, and you take one of them out. And why I was so concerned when 
Mondo fouled out if that game went to overtime. You take one of them out, the way they're playing together now, and the unit breaks down. And, and so what's so incredible, the way they've bought in and the way they trust each other on both ends of the floor. And look, they still made mistakes. They, they had live ball turnovers last night. I thought our transition defense was nowhere near where it needed to be. Duke got a couple baskets off of our makes when we were not matched up, which is something we used to do, right? Certainly when Coach Williams was in charge, we would try to get the ball out of the basket and run back at you before you had your defense set up. And they did that to us a couple of times. So there were certainly mistakes that we were made. But putting the X and O's aside, which is what you said, the way these guys are playing for him and the staff right now and the way it has clicked in in the last six, eight weeks, I don't, I don't know of any time something like that has happened where the light bulb was going on. You guys have talked about it. It was 2000 when we were eight seed and made it to the final four. Is that right? I was before me, right? So I don't, I don't, I can't speak to that. Maybe that that's what this was like, but it no, is. It wasn't. It okay. wasn't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it is astounding the way these guys trust each other now. Um, part of me is only it, it can even say I'm sad. There's only one more game to watch. They've been that enjoyable the last the last eight weeks. The way they have become a true team. Um, and I don't think you can say that we wanted it more than them last night. I think the Duke kids played really hard. But the Duke, generally speaking, the way Duke got their baskets came off of individual plays more so. And I, even though it was Caleb and doing what he did in the second half, everything with us feels like it's all five of them together. And that was the difference to me. Because the want to for both of them was as high as it can be. I just felt like our guys made more team plays down the stretch. And that's why we won. Yeah, and Ar Armando Baycott, when he fouled out, uh, the biggest thing I noticed from that moment was here's UNC's most consistent player going to the bench. His season very well could be over with without any control of what happens in the last 46 seconds. It's real easy to to get down and you know, be kind of uh, depressed when you're heading to the bench. But instead, he brought the entire starting five together under the Duke basket before Mark Williams went to shoot the free throws. And he looked at each one of them in the face and was like, you guys got this. You guys got this. He was pounding them on the chest, saying, like, you guys are going to pull through. And in that moment, I think you you saw a guy who had that total belief in in his guys out there on the court. Every time Coach Davis talks right now, he talks about the, the health and, and the togetherness and the closeness of this team. And when you see things like Armando Baycott picking up his guys when, when the game is completely out of his control, you start to see that in action when, when Coach Davis says all these things and repeats all these things. You see a healthy team and you see a team that is playing as one as Dewey mentioned. You know, hey, let me say this, Tommy. Uh, Dewey asked about the 2000 team. The 2000 team had a couple really good pieces uh, that, that helped kind of fuel that. But that was a true eight seed. And I guess it was 2013 when Carolina was an eight seed again. That was a true eight seed. And that team, uh, I think, was leading the halftime against Kansas and I believe Kansas City. Uh, 
but they didn't have any depth inside. They had, they had really had nobody inside. And Kansas exposed that late. What we're seeing right now is, is incredible because we knew what took place the first three months of the season. I mean, if you look at the power rankings, after that Pittsburgh loss on February 16th, Carolina was 42nd nationally. Since March 1st, well, since the Pittsburgh game, they're third nationally. Since March 1st, they're first nationally. Over the last, in the month of March, this was the best team in the country, according to the metrics. It's phenomenal. And um, this team early in the year had a lot of uh, flaws, right? Caleb Love uh, was so hit or miss. R.J. Davis was kind of trying to figure out his role. Brady wasn't very good defensively. Uh, Leakey hadn't quite emerged as a defensive stopper that he is now. But if you look at what Carolina has done since that Pittsburgh game, they're holding their opponents to 40% shooting in those last 12 games. It's incredible. So when you add a team you, that is so efficient scoring the ball from multiple spots, and you add this defense component to it, and then you add a guy like Caleb Love, who has got to be one of the most clutch players over a five or six week span that I can ever remember. Um, me, Carolina wins Monday night. The argument's going to be had, and the debate's going to be had, if he had the best NCAA tournament performance of any Tar Heel ever. That's where we're at. So for this team to do what it's done over the last seven or eight weeks is phenomenal. Um, Hubert deserves a ton of credit here, but the players deserve credit too, because if you look at this starting five, every single one of them is playing the bas best basketball of their career. Every single one of them. I, I don't know that I've seen anything like it. It's, it's that impressive. You, you mentioned, y'all mentioned the 2000 team, and Greg, to your point, they were true eight seed. When Coda got that fourth foul in that game, that game was over. And, and then Carolina had nothing left, and, and Coda was unable to do anything else. And Carolina was leading in that game at that time against Florida, and Florida um, went on to the national championship game. But to see – like you guys said, the way that they're just playing all at the top, that goes back for me to coaching. That the players have to do it, yes, but to be able to get it together and get them to do that is phenomenal, especially this day and age, and especially the way the game is and the way how pe people and kids and parents and all that have changed over the years for that to happen. Yeah, and I mean, it just leads to the fight that Hubert started the conversation about fight and, and whatnot and standing your ground. And that started with the Duke game in Cameron leading up to that. Right. And everyone was like, Oh, we haven't really heard about that before. Like looking for a fight. What, what's that about? And what really stood out to me about this game was it just seemed like Duke was getting nearly every offensive rebound, which they were, they were getting what, I think they had 14 offensive boards or, or something like that. And, and everything at the rim, Greg, everything at the rim. Offensively. Right. Mark Williams was cleaning everything up. But then you look at the stat line after the game and UNC had more offensive rebounds. And from my vantage point, I was under the awning. So I couldn't see the jumbotron. I couldn't see, the only thing I could see was the score and the plays. I didn't know how many points anyone had. 
I didn't know stag. I didn't, I was watching <laughs> basketball at its purest form. And I hadn't, I didn't even know how, I didn't know Caleb had 28 points until two hours after the game, like until I got home, I had no idea. It was crazy. Um, so that's why like watching it, you see like thought Duke was getting every offensive board, but UNC just fighting back and Armando doing his thing on the boards and grabbing 21 and Puff Johnson blocking out that free throw. It's just, it was just the buildup to the well, that you pulled up the numbers here. Yeah. 17 offensive boards for Carolina, 15 for Duke. Like it didn't seem that way, but it just kind of shows how far this team has come to not let Duke beat them at their own game in one specific category and fighting back in, in, in all facets. Like, yes, Duke won the battle in the paint significantly, but once UNC forced them to start taking jump shots in the second half, I mean, it was almost over at that point. Like they couldn't, I mean, AJ Griffin was obviously non-existent because of Leaky Black. And it, it just amazes me that one game with Leaky hasn't, it's like one guy hasn't figured him out. Like he locks down every single guy yeah. he guards. It's just the way that this team has developed. And Greg, you mentioned they've been the best team since March 1. They were underdogs to Baylor, underdogs to UCLA, underdogs to Duke. They're underdogs to Kansas. Like no one is still giving you and see the benefit of the doubt, except unless it's Marquette or St. Peter's, which is just mind boggling to me at this point. One of the things that Vip said that I think is, is so accurate because you could feel us being in the gym. Duke plays so under control, right? And they, they, they have such a, um, such a way about their offense as they walk the ball up and call a set. Like it, you feel uncomfortable when they are getting into their sets and they run those little curls for Keels and Griffin and got a lot of stuff at the rim, getting Van Caro in the post where he would just back Brady down, lay the ball in. And then you, then we had a hard time boxing out, gave up a lot of offensive rebounds. I think that was so accurate. How that felt in the gym when they would get a stop or we had live ball turnovers, they would come down. It was, it, it was a, it was a little bit of a helpless feeling when they would have the ball and be getting into their sets but the difference in the game was they would do that kind of methodically get a bucket and a stop and get up by three and get up by four. And obviously in the second half, get up by seven and then lightning strikes, boom, Caleb three, three layup. It's back to one or we take the lead. Or in that case, we went up, we went on a 13 0 run, right? We went from down seven up six, but then they kind of methodically came back and it, it, it just at times had the feeling of being inevitable that they were going to make just one more play and we were going to lose by one. I had that feeling at, at, at points in that second half because of what Vip said, because they were so methodical in what they were running, but it turned out that even after Wendell Moore hit that shot to put him up by one, we had one last burst in us. And that was the difference in the game. I, I tell you what, um, they make you uncomfortable the talent level that they have, they make you uncomfortable. Uh, getting the ball to Ben Carroll in his spots, Mark Williams on the offensive glass. It wasn't Roach, but man, was Keels ever really, really good last night. Um, yeah, they, they just, they make you feel uncomfortable. And there were a lot of, a lot of possessions in that second half uh, where it just stretches in that second half where it was Ben don't break. And when they got out by seven, and Mondo had just picked up his third. That was a real danger zone. And all of a sudden, Caleb Love, Caleb Love came alive. And that, to me, that stretch, I mean, it's obvious to say, but that stretch 
I remember when we got them to call a timeout, I turned to Bobby and I said, that so easily could have gotten the double digits and gotten away from us. And here we are all of a sudden, we got a four point lead. Just, uh, just remarkable resilience. And the thing that I like, I've said this before, other than Caleb, for the most part, you look at Leakey, you look at Brady, you look at RJ and look at Armando. They are so locked in that they, and in the zone. Caleb is more demonstrative. The other four are just right here. And I just, again, I'm just, I'm amazed at the cohesiveness of the way these guys are playing together. Yeah. And Tommy, to, to build on that just for a minute, I think it speaks to coaching for one, but it also speaks to experience with Duke having so many young guys playing a role. Because in the first half, when I, right at the end of the first half, before Carolina went on that little spurt, Duke got up six. And Coach K is on the sideline after that bucket went in to give him the six-point lead, pleading to his guys, one stop, one stop, one stop, over and over again. And they didn't get that stop. And I think it was 34-28 at that point in time. And next thing you know, Carolina strikes, and it's 34-34. And to Dewey's point, that could have gotten away at that point in time. Uh, and given if Duke goes into halftime with an eight-point lead, that's a lot. And even though Duke had a three-point lead, Carolina played well enough there late that it wasn't you know that big of a difference. But the ability for Carolina to keep responding, keep coming back at Duke, while Duke, when they would get those leads, it's almost like they took a breath and they realized, like, okay, we've got a working margin here. We're okay. That's a very um, amateur, inexperienced thing to do. Carolina did not do that. Duke did a couple times, and I think that's why Duke ends up going home and not playing for the national championship. Let's talk about that seven-point lead Duke had there, 41-34. And, Bill, if I come to you, what what I would forgotten until I saw the thing is Baycott got an offensive rebound and kicked it to Caleb Love for the three to cut it to 41-37, and that started the run. Scored ten points in that stretch. Yeah, and, and Vip, I mean, Caleb, when he gets hot, he's impressive. I don't know what happens at halftime. I mean, he had another slow start in the first half. Um, But not only was he hot from the outside in this game, I I thought the drives, the two drives he had for the layups um, were as as good a basketball as he's ever played in his life in that stretch um, from the 18, 19 minute mark of the second half. And it wasn't just stepping back and shooting threes like he's done in the past. I mean, he just expanded on everything right then and there, Bill. Tommy, yeah, when I, sorry, if not to interrupt you. He got to the rim more than twice, did he not? Because he had he had a layup, he had a floater, and then didn't he have two more in the last five, six minutes? He had the one where he went up and around Mark Williams and finished, right? Yeah. I feel like he finished at the rim maybe four times in the second half alone. Yeah, which has been an area where he's kind of struggled um, this year finishing around the rim, but I, when I talked to Caleb Love's dad last week before I did that feature story on him, the, the biggest thing you get from Dennis Love, he, he truly believes that Caleb was born for these moments and these, these moments where he just absolutely takes over a game. And when you watch Caleb Love play, whether you're on TV or in person, I tweeted back in, I think it was the Louisville game, I tweeted that when, when Caleb Love is on, he is the most, he's a top five most fun players to watch in 
college basketball. And I think top five was uh, it was a reach where I think he is the most fun player to watch when he's getting going. The confidence that he plays with and like Coach Davis, Coach Davis has said like uh, plenty of times, like it's, it's one thing for somebody to want to take those shots. I think that that in and of itself is is impressive that Love wants to be the guy who's taking the shots. The rate that he's hitting these shots in these late game moments when he does struggle in, in the beginning of the game, I think he started 0 for 5 or 0 for 6. Um, but if he starts 0 for 5 and, you know, they're, they're all five jump shots, that sixth shot is going up with just as much confidence as that first one, that second one, that third one. Ir- irrational confidence. <laughs> it's, it's unlike Irras- anything. Irrational confidence. I mean, I was sitting in front of Stack. Is Last it irrational night? at this point, though? No, it's irrational. It's irrational. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. I was sitting in front of Stack last night. And we were talking a little bit at halftime. And I asked him about Caleb. And he just said, well, I'm going to try to get it right. He basically said, he said, there are very few guys that I've played with, coached against, or coached that play basketball like a corner in football. Right? A corner in football, you're going to get beat. It's the name of the game, right? Yep, it's the name of the game. You're, you're going to get beat. You're going to get beat deep for a touchdown. And you're supposed to have a short memory. Next play, next play, next play. He That was what Stack said to me. He said, there are very few people I played against, have coached or coached against, that have the ability to play basketball like a cornerback, where your memory is so short that you can just move on to the next play and literally you don't even remember what might have just happened. And we were talking about Caleb when he said that. Yeah, the, the, the narrative for this team has always been that they would go as far as Caleb Love would take them and I think when you originally said that, you, you would think of it as like, you know, he, he struggles in a game, they crash out in, in the second round, season over. I'm not sure how many people actually saw this type of run coming from him um, outside of Coach Davis and Caleb Love with that confidence where he struggles and then he starts getting in a rhythm in that second half and he's attempting, you know, 15-foot floaters and they're going in um like like it's a layup at the basket all right look here's here's the thing with Caleb which is phenomenal to me um in the game last night his first five shots were all jumpers I think four of them were three-point attempts he was 11 of 15 the rest of the way why what Caleb has learned to do and it's really been like since the UCLA game, which is my rim. Go to the rim. His next three shots after those first five that he missed was a floater and two layups. And he made both of them. And the second half, to Dewey's point earlier, uh, let's see, layup, layup, uh, layup, dribble jumper, layup, floater. So he's five times at the rim. Yeah. Well, that was like a 12 foot floater. That was the yeah. degree of. Difficulty yeah. on that shot was. It was like, he like has a, it at a eleven foot floater. How about that? Yeah, that was. Oh man, it was. It was like a step inside the three point line. <laughs> right, but this we talked about how all these guys have gotten better and how, how Caleb has kind of exploded. If you go back to the Virginia game in the ACC tournament, from the start of the Virginia game 
until halftime of the UCLA game in the Sweet 16. Caleb Love missed 18 of 19 shots inside the arc. He was one of 19 from two in the first, what, four and a half games of the postseason. He's 17 of 24 cents. Yeah. It's, it's a remarkable turnaround. Uh, but I talked to him today about it. I'll have a story up. But he said that it's just he's such a good shooter. He knows he's a good shooter that when those opportunities present themselves, he takes them. But the staff has really worked hard with him to say, look, if you get to the rim, all that's going to do is make everything that you try to do on the perimeter easier for you. And for whatever reason, it finally clicked. And he was incredible in the second half against UCLA. Uh, he, he, was, he was good enough against St. Peter's. And what he did really the last, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes last night separates him from most guards in the country. And it's crazy that we, we were, were talking about Caleb in that light, considering some of the things that, that we were honest about two months ago. When, when I talked to Caleb's dad um, uh, last week, when he was he was talking about the St. Peter's game, and Greg mentioned like Caleb, he wasn't anything special in that game, and his his dad was just like moment wasn't big enough for him. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's the that's a little inside the the psyche of the of the Love family and the confidence and the belief that they have in their son. Let me uh let's get away from the starting five for a second. And Dewey, I want you to speak to what Puff Johnson was able to do in this game because in '82, Carolina won the national championship. Chris Brust hit one free throw. His line in Keenan Stadium two days later was, or the next night was, if I hadn't made that free throw, we might still be playing. In '93, Scott Cherry and Pat Sullivan got run, and Billy Packer on air said, what, what is Dean Smith doing with these guys on the court? It happened in the 2005 run. It happened in the 09 run. And then last night, Puff Johnson was forced out there because Baycott had foul trouble and he made a couple good plays and he made the free throws. Do we see in somebody that's not in the iron five or whatever, make plays that are just huge for this team? That's what does it. I mean, that's what carries the team beyond just expectations it carries them above the expectations and that's why they're in the game on monday night yeah i mean and the the two key plays are obviously the getting fouled and making his free throws and the box out on ben carroll lake were the two fundamentally humongous plays i was sitting right behind cam right behind cam and uh that was a pretty cool thing to watch cam's reaction watching his younger brother playing in an environment that he himself never played in Right. And if, in terms of the, being in the final four, obviously camps played and now played in the NBA finals. But um, that was a, that was an interesting kind of moment because I'm, I'm watching Puff shoot and I'm watching Cam and just I can't imagine what that must be like to watch your baby brother out there shooting free throws in the final four against Duke. Um, but Puff, again, becoming healthy has really been a solid contributor. And I thought they missed a call. I thought he drew a loose ball foul on a possession under their basket where Keels boxed him out and knocked him under the basket that 
they maybe could have called. Uh, but in such a short stretch to have the guts, was that a one and one, by the way? Or was that two shots? I think it was one and one. I, was was one and one. I think it was a one and one. Duke's right? eighth foul, I think. Yeah, I think that's right, um, Greg. And so the reality is, and the way at least we used to talk about it within the program is if you miss the front end of the one and one, it's a turnover. Effectively, it is, right? Because you didn't get a field goal attempt. And you didn't get the second free throw by making the first. So effectively, the possession ends in what's almost like a turnover. And so for him, ice cold to come in and make those two free throws uh, was was just remarkable guts by him. And then if, if people haven't gone back and watched, watch the box out he has on Bancaro late uh, when they missed a, a, a critical shot. Doing those little things. And and you mentioned, Tommy, it's, it, it's amazing. You remember what those guys did in 82 and 93 that was 40 years ago and you remember it. So wouldn't it be great if 25, 30, 40 years from now, Puff's going to have a good career for us. He's going to do great things, but you know, if we win tomorrow, perhaps we'll always remember Puff Johnson's two free throws in the Duke game. Before we move on from Taylor and Greg, what you guys did today, speaking with the players, do we have anything else to add on the game from yesterday? Any closing thoughts here? I, I have one, and then I'll let you guys move on to what you want to say. I want to point out for, for all of the praise that we have given Leakey on the defensive end, his offensive output yesterday was, though his points were as big as any points we had all night, and even then it was a play he made not scoring on the offensive end that might have just won us the game or came close. His penetration and pitch to Brady for that last three was a phenomenal play that he made out of a somewhat broken possession. So again, if you go back and watch, watch the possession where Leakey finds Brady for that three. We've credited Leakey for a long time, meaning, you know, as it relates to this season, the last six, eight weeks for his defensive effort. But it was a play he made on the offensive end that arguably has us in this game on Monday. And yeah, we I would just add Brady at all either, by the way. And his ability to not have a great night, but still hit some clutch shots. I just kind of speaks to the overall player. Of the degree of difficulty, is. the degree of difficulty on all three of his threes in the second half, the one he hit in front of where, where we were sitting, which was across from our bench, full speed baseline run. I mean, that's like NBA two guard catch and shoot stuff. And he, he made that in front of us. And then the two he made in front of our bench, the degree of difficulty on all three of those threes was Eight, nine out of ten. Sorry, Greg. No, and I, I think he did a great job on Bancaro as well. I mean, Bancaro went into that game. He wanted to win it for Duke. Um, and when he gets going downhill, he is tough. I, mean, I think he's going to be a great pro. His skill set's just phenomenal. And he scored 20 points, yes, but I think he was 8 of 17 shooting. I think you take that all day. Um, and I, I think that's a very difficult matchup for Brady, and I thought he did a very good job with that. So while he wasn't uh, the offensive uh, score that we've seen, as Dewey said, he had some, some big ones that were tough, but I thought he did just enough defensively to kind of slow Ben Caro down. Um, the other thing, we were talking about kind of the, the magnitude of this game and kind of where it ranks and all these things. I keep going back to the Kentucky game in 2017 that you know, Luke may hit the shot. That was an incredible game, um, and that was a big shot. And, and one of the reasons that, that game has carried so well 
is because Carolina went on to win the national championship. I mean, as good as that Gonzaga victory was in the title game, I think when most people think of that run, it's the Kentucky game. It's the Luke May shot. Uh, and so that's one of the things you, I just really hope this team is able to get it done on Monday. And maybe this is a segue to talking about Kansas because by winning on Monday, what happened last night is always going to be a massive game. It's always going to be one of the best wins in program history. But a national title attached to it, I think, elevates it even more. And while it may not be national title level, I mean, it is right there. And I think going off Greg's point right there, why you would want North Carolina to finish this runoff, it has been a, a legendary run from start to finish in this tournament. You, you beat Marquette, you beat a one seed, the defending national champions in Baylor, in Texas. Um, you, you play a team like UCLA, a Final Four team from the previous year that returned just about everybody um, in terms of production. Well coached by Mick Cronin, North Carolina beats them. You beat the biggest Cinderella in NCAA tournament history in St. Peter's. And then obviously you beat Duke and you send Coach K um, home for home for the last time. And I think that that game was so intense. And the, the narratives around the game obviously all center around the fact that it was Duke and that it was Coach K's last last game. But I, I think when you talk about it in that sense a bit, it does undersell how awesome this North Carolina team has been where I get I get it's the Duke UNC game, but the my biggest takeaway from you know since since the Baylor game, since the UCLA game, since the, the Duke game, this is a team that is deserving to win a national champion, a national championship. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do beat Kansas. So let's uh let's turn it to Kansas talk, but first we're gonna have to do a segue to Johnny T-shirt and Vip. I'm gonna call you, I'm gonna call you out again, Vip. I need a I need a read for Johnny T-shirt because I need people to do this kind of stuff in Chapel Hill instead of buying the stuff on in New Orleans. Shop local and shop Johnny T-shirt. Hey, I stopped at Johnny T-shirt on my way. Where's my? I got my. I got a nice little little Brady Manic shirt from Giant T-shirt before I headed down to Nola. So all right, so Vip, give me the read. Give me your world famous read. I see you. Off. I see you digging it up to to read it. <laughs> let's go. Let's go with the Johnny T-shirt. Scrolling through his docs over there. We have to. We have to make sure we mention our friends over at Johnny T-shirt. They support us, so we want to support the people that support us. Whether it's the T-shirts, the jerseys, the NIL gear that Gregory just pulled up. The, they have the, the new NIL jerseys of the individual players. They have the Final Four gear. I'm sure they're printing the, the Beat Duke gear or with, the, with the final score and, and whatnot. But Johnny T-shirt, it's great people, great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. If you're going to be in Chapel Hill, you can visit them on Franklin Street. And if you're not going to be in Chapel Hill, you can visit them online at johnnytshirt.com. Inside Carolina premium subscribers, 10% off your orders. Let's take a short break. Let the national guys pay the bills as well. We'll be right back on the beat live. Thousand of you are watching. Let's get some more in here as we segue to Kansas. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back with On The Beat Live. Tommy Ashley, Gregory Hall, Taylor Viplis, Dewey Burke, Greg Barnes, Joey Powell sitting over there off to the side of the stage. I mean, you've got the entire band in the same vicinity. Um, on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and in New the Orleans, bayou. the Bayou. Uh, did you have some crayfish yet? Some crayfish? I did. I had some, some gumbo today. I bet Armando. You, you guys, you guys have a very father-son feel to you, right? You now. don't have to read that stuff on Twitter <laughs> and repeat it, Taylor. I'm not. I'm not reading anything on Twitter. <laughs> I saw somebody say that. Anyway, Tommy graduated from college the same year as my parents. So, lines up. Dude, I'm, it's not, the, screen, the screen is not frozen. <laughs> I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Um, Kansas Dewey, played tomorrow. Dewey, Dewey, I know you've got to uh, get out of here. I know you appreciate you joining us, and I know you've got a lot to talk about with this game coming up. But what's your take on this Kansas game? Uh, I mean, we've talked a lot about Duke. I've heard a lot of people say that the Kansas game tomorrow night doesn't really matter, um, mm-hmm. given that they've beaten Duke. Where do you stand? Where do the former players stand? I like Vip's point to finish it. Finish. Hey, that's nonsense, Tommy. Just just interject. I I don't disagree. And that's why I say finish to possession. This is a, this is a possession here for North Carolina and getting the ring is the ultimate possession. Where are you at, Dewey? Where I'm at is Kansas has beat us bad a couple of times in the tournament. We owe them one. That's where I'm at. You know, um, coach self has had our number since, since Coach Williams came back, and have they got us three times in the tournament? Is that right, Greg? Yeah. Yes. Three times. I mean, everybody remembers the Final Four. We were down 40 Eight, to 12. 12 and 13. 8, 12, and 13, yeah. So we owe them one for sure. Um, I know it would make Coach Williams feel really good. Uh, so I, I would tell you that that maybe has a little little something in, in the guy's mind. But these guys are on a mission, on a business trip, whatever you want to call it. Um as big as that win was for our program, and I and I, I will go on the record as saying it's the biggest non-championship win that we've ever had. For the players, losing tomorrow means you did not accomplish your ultimate goal. Period. The end. End of story. Because when you are doing workouts in the summer, there's no conversation about winning in the final four and that being enough. Even if that's who we beat. Even if that's the coach that we sent out to pasture it doesn't matter doesn't matter so inside the program right inside the the current players unequivocally they turned the page a lot faster than any of us did or anybody listening we celebrated last night all that stuff right on to kansas next game next game and they they will get to understand the historical significance of what they did last night later 
right now, if we don't win tomorrow for them, none of it matters. Not in the near term anyway, maybe historically and down the road and when they're done. But if we don't win tomorrow for those kids and that staff, none of it matters. But winning Cameron doesn't matter. Beating Baylor doesn't matter. Beating Duke in the final four. None of it matters if we don't win tomorrow. Is that the vibe that you guys got from the players today, Greg and Taylor, from talking to them in the breakouts of how they were focused for tomorrow? Armando Baycott said, we don't get to hang a banner by beating Duke. And I think that sums it up. Yeah, every everybody's been talking about um, the, the video I did today from talking with the players was about the the pickup games and what it's like when you go into the gym and you're versing uh, players that have won national championships. Uh, Armando Baycott was saying that anytime there's like a questionable call, when one of the guys with the national championship comes back, the calls always go their way because all they have to do is just point up to the banner. And I think, I think that's on this team's mind. They're, they're not like the fan base that the section of the fan base is, who was like, you know what, we beat Duke. It, it's whatever, whatever happens, happens. This team kind of viewed Duke as just another team that was in their way for a national championship. And the ultimate prize that they have is putting up a, another banner in the Smith Center. They, they want to see it at the table, guys. They want to see it at the table. And there's only so many guys in our program that have a seat at that table. And what Bip said is exactly right. You play pickup in the summer when the pros are back or the ex guys are back from Europe or whatever it is, 50, 50 calls, foul call, not that was off you. That was off him. The guys with the pedigree get the call period. You know what else happens? The guys with the pedigree, if their team loses playing five on five and their team loses and one of them decides I'm staying on, they stay on. You might've had five waiting. You might've had five waiting. And Raymond Felton says, nah, I'm staying on. <laughs> There's nothing to say. That's real. The other, the other funny uh, thing that I took away from talking with Armando Baycott, he was basically saying like the Carolina basketball family, it's, it's like a club. And then there's like the VIP section where it's the guys who kind of get their individual recognition and in the Raptors and how like exclusive that is. And then even, even one step further, uh, Sean May and Jack Emanuel joke with them all the time that behind the club, behind the VIP section, there's a room that you have to go through a door and that's where all the national champions are. It's very accurate, guys. It's, I'm telling you, that's, this is real. This is, this is not like, hey, let's tell a cool story that'll get people excited to listen. This is very accurate. This is a real thing. I lived it as a current player when that 05 team would come back and just pull rank. And what could you say? I lived it when Anton would come back, not as a national champion, but as somebody with his jersey in the rafters. I remember him getting into it with that team before they won in 05 and getting into it with Rashad and Jackie and Dave Noel and Jawad and pointing up in the rafters saying, that's why the call goes my way. I mean, you're talking about some of the most competitive people and how are you going to settle it? You settle it by who has banners. It's real, guys. I'm telling you, it's real. The champagne room is real um, when you've got a banner hanging from it. 
Dewey, I'm gonna let you go. I know you got some family obligations, man. I appreciate you joining us and uh, hope to see you tomorrow night. And uh, we'll definitely circle back here, I guess, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday and get the band together and do it again. Appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Yep, I'm back there landing in New Orleans at 4 o'clock. Let's go. That's crazy. See you tomorrow, Dewey. Later. Greg, when I said uh, – people said the championship game doesn't matter now, you got pretty animated. You echo uh, what Dewey just said, I assume. What's the goal here? What are we doing here? Are, are you here just to beat Duke? Is that what matters? Or is Are we talking about an NC State-type deal? where all you want to do is beat Carolina? Come on. Let's be better than that. Carolina is better than that. You're here to win the championship. You're not here to beat Duke. Beating Duke, as Leaky Black said last night after the game, unfortunately for Coach, Coach K, Duke was in Carolina's way. Uh, so, yeah, be proud of the Duke win. It was a big win, one of the biggest wins in program history. But if you want to make it, hold and you want to make it stay as one of the elite wins close it out now look i've said for for weeks now that in hubert davis's first year given how the first three months played out a good win i mean a, a good season is getting to the ncaa tournament a great season is making it to the sweet 16. This house money now. I mean, this is a phenomenal year, regardless of what happens on Monday night. But that doesn't mean that the goal is not to win the title. As well as this team's playing, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't get the talk that beating Duke's enough. It, it should never be enough. Yeah, and I was talking to my friend who's a senior at Carolina and rushing Franklin last night. Said it was the most dense Franklin's ever been rushed. And I was like, just wait if they win on Monday, because being there in 17 it's like it's it's not just the players and everything that drew was talking about like it's it's around the thing like obviously beating duke in the final four has never been done before it's never they've never met and it, who knows when if it'll ever happen again but there's still something different about monday but a good kansas team stands in the way of this team a kansas team that pretty much handled obviously a ho hobbled villanova team but I mean, they got up 10-0 and then pretty much held it on for the rest for the rest of the rest of the game. What did you guys what did you guys see from them on on what was it, Saturday now, yesterday? And how does that match up, especially with a uh, Armando Baycott that isn't a hundred and ten percent like he has been recently? Any Taylor, you want to take that? Yeah, Kansas is an impressive team. They've kind of been um right up there with Duke this year in terms of their consistency, just in the, in the big 12, they've been a, a top five team for a, a good part of the season and they're playing just as well as anybody in the country right now. But I think the, the encouraging thing for North Carolina is North Carolina is also playing just as well as anybody in the country. So depending on how Armando Baycott's feeling, I, I did an interview with Joel Berry earlier today. Um, that's up now on Inside Carolina's uh, on Inside Carolina's YouTube page um, for people to check out after this. But the Joel had to play through some ankle injuries, and he thinks UNC's training staff is going to make sure that Armando Baycott is as close to 100% as he's going to be. And I, I think one point that Coach Davis made 
at this point of the season, when, when you have one game left in your schedule, there aren't too many guys out there that are a hundred percent healthy there. Most of the guys are, you know, 70, 80, 80% healthy. You, you look at somebody like RJ Davis, who's covered in, in black and blues, his hands are all taped up. It is just trying to make it to the finish line right now. So Kansas is assuredly going through some of those same problems, but yeah, they, they did look uh, very impressive against Villanova. I wish Villanova did have Justin Moore to kind of see those two teams kind of go at full strength. It felt like Kansas was keeping them at an arm length for a majority of the game. Villanova kind of made that late run to cut it to like six or seven. And then Kansas was just beating them up uh, with points inside the paint. So it, it's going to be another uh, matchup where points in the paint is an emphasis. Yeah, Caleb a couple of Brady... Oh, sorry, Greg. No, go ahead, Gregory. I was going to say Caleb and Brady have attempted as many threes in the tournament as Kansas's entire team. So right. that's, that's kind of one of the talking points that I was getting ready to get to. Uh, Kansas, Kansas is very efficient scoring the ball. And look, you get to this, this stage – uh, you, Duke was a little bit of an anomaly because they're just not very good defensively, but they're elite offensively. But they have a weakness. If you go back to UCLA, UCLA is an incredible team. Um, so that was a massive win for Carolina. Uh, it's going to take that type of performance to beat Kansas because if you if you look at Kansas' stats, I mean, they're solid across the board. And, you know, Remy Martin came in from Arizona State. Uh, was a big pickup for them in the in the portal. And he didn't play really towards the end of the year because of a, a knee injury. And he didn't didn't really get back into the, the lineup at a healthy rate until the Big 12 tournament. And he was arguably Kansas's best player on the on the floor in the first three games in the NCAA tournament. Now he didn't play especially well against Villanova, but we know how tough Villanova is defensively. Uh, so that that's a player to kind of watch out for. Um but talking about the power rankings earlier, I mentioned that Carolina Pittsburgh game, Carolina was third nationally. Well, number one nationally since the third week of February is Kansas. And so to uh, Taylor's point, I mean, they've been playing phenomenal basketball. They've won 10 in a row. They've got all the pieces. They've got a couple of good point guards now that Remy's back. Uh, Agbaji's one of the best athletes on the planet. Uh, and McCormick is a, a horse inside. So they match up very well uh, with Carolina, but you, they're not a team that's going to get crazy hot from three. They don't take that many. Um, and so I think, I think it's going to be a great game. And I think uh, both of these teams are playing at a high clip and uh, whoever makes plays down the stretch is going to win. And from what we've seen out of Caleb Love, Carolina needs probably should feel pretty good about their chances. Yeah. And so, the, the other, the other point about the, the Kansas, if, um, Caleb Love with the way Caleb Love's been playing the other point with that would be with the way Leaky Black's been defending if if he's on um, Baji who's averaging 18.9 points per game if Leaky is able to you know if, if lockdown Leaky comes out and he's putting the straps on Baji it's like all of a sudden a Kansas offense that's dependent on you know two three guys becomes one and two and you're taking out their their real number one option who they want to try to run this offense through uh when you're averaging almost 20 points per game in college basketball that's pretty impressive so if leaky has one of those nights where he's putting the clamps on and 
he's winning that matchup on the defensive side, all of a sudden that momentum starts tilting towards Carolina's side. So we do think it's leaky on Abaji? I'm just looking at – I mean, yes, I agree. Looking at Kansas's roster, like, they're they're tall. Like, I didn't realize Christian Braun was 6'6", and Mitch Lightfoot was 6'8", Jalen Wilson 6'8". That's a, that's a tall, tall team. Caleb's going to have to guard someone three inches taller than him. Great athletes. I mean, it's Kansas. Um, yeah, size-wise, it's probably comparable to UCLA, um, yeah, where um, for the most part – their their starting lineup. I mean, Tiger Campbell was pretty pretty small and was a favorable matchup for um, RJ height wise. Um, but for the most part, everybody you're seeing is is six seven and above. Yeah, I mean, Remy Martin's a matchup for RJ Davis. But Greg, you mentioned it earlier. He did nothing Saturday night. I, I didn't hear hardly his name called at all um, against Villanova, which was surprising because I was telling everybody this guy who has a famous name is key for Kansas, and he did nothing. Of course, Abaji went off early in that game. So, Leakey's there. McCormick, too. And McCormack was just a Was he like 10 team. out of 11 or something like that? Yeah, I mean, McC- that, that's the concern now. We talked about Baycott's injury, and I was talking to a Kansas fan after the game, and, um, you know, I said, you get Villanova hobbled, which helped them, and now you get Carolina with Baycott possibly hobbled. Um, we can talk about the training staff all we want, and they do a fabulous job. But Greg, um, when he came back in there, he didn't have any lift. Um, you know, I know he said he's playing, but that's got to be a concern for Hubert Davis and the staff because McCormack has been he, – he's been dominant for Kansas at times, especially yesterday. Right. I think one issue is – I was talking to Armando uh, before the Duke game. And he said after practice on Thursday, the coaching staff pulled him aside and said, all right, this is the team's plus minus when you're on the court. And this is the team's plus minus when you're off the court. And the differential was like that, right? So stay on the floor, stay out of foul trouble. Uh, That's difficult to do against Duke with their penetration. It's also difficult with with Mark Williams. Um, But McCormick's not as long as Williams, but he's a bigger dude than, than Mark is. Uh, and so does Armando's ankle limit his quickness in the post? And does that you know, pose the problem of potential foul trouble? And that's really what it's got to be. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned Remy. He didn't have to have a good game because uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Harris is a, is a good backup option at, at point guard. And so Kansas has got a little bit of depth. They don't play a ton of guys, but they've, they've got some pieces there they can rely on. Um, and so, you know, McCormick had foul trouble early against Villanova, uh, but when he came out, it didn't really hurt him that much. So those are, those are the things you kind of have to look at. And I think if Baycott is smart and he's aware that, that he can't uh, get too aggressive, I mean, I, Taylor mentioned it during the game yesterday as we were watching, but some of those drives by Duke, not that Baycock moved out of the way, but he certainly wasn't engaging. He didn't want to get in a situation where he's going to pick up some cheap fouls. And I think that's a that's a big part of this game, especially if he doesn't have full range of mobility. Yeah, I think I one quick point about Armando Baycott. That for the reason why I'm not really talking about the injuries is because there's one more game left in the season 
everybody's hobbling their way to the finish line. And I think you saw him with the mentality last um, last night in the Duke game where he's going to fight for these last 40 minutes, just like Coach Davis would fight for 40 minutes, just like he knows everybody on his team would fight for 40 minutes. There was a, a funny clip where if, if you go on Armando's uh, Twitter, he, he quote tweeted it, I think. Um, it's a quote tweet where he wrote no cap and you could see that it's the TV broadcast of when he's checking back into the game with 436 left and he's just on the sideline and he's he's looking into uh, his teammates on the court. I can't say exactly what what he said in it. F it. Um, oh, F it. <laughs> blanket blanket. These guys know how close they are to realizing something that most college players can only dream of. So I think if, if that ankle is even 60%, he's going to be out there for, you know, 30 plus minutes. And, and look, Taylor talked to Joel tonight, and I don't know how much Joel would go into it because he kind of downplayed it back in 2017, but he showed us his ankles in Phoenix. And we're looking at his feet and we're like, how in the world is this kid playing? He looked like, uh, what's his name in misery? The movie, the horror movie. Where yeah, she... right. James Conn, is that? <laughs> yeah. um, he did. It was incredible for him to play the way that he did. Um, and so I, I just think there's something about when you get to this level and it means so much. I mean, what did Baycott say today? You'd have to cut off his leg for him not to play. Uh, so I, I don't think it will be a talking point unless you know, maybe he tweaks it again or something like that. But I think these these guys are at this level that they're just going to grind it out and, and play through the pain. Considering how Caleb played last night against Duke, 28 points, but Armando had a double-double, 21 rebounds, is one double-double away from tying the all-time record. Is there a scenario where Armando gets most outstanding player over Caleb and can rub it in Sean's face? Yeah, I mean, if he if he's a monster inside, he can. Or if Caleb has a little bit of an off night, um, that's one of the tough things. You know, I know people were upset about 2017 how that went down, um, but you know, this is as we talked about earlier. All these guys are playing incredibly well, um, and I think it's very tough. You can make a case for pretty much any of them to be the best player for this team throughout the postseason. But if Caleb has another 20 point game. I, and Carolina wins, uh, I don't see how you don't give him give him the MOP. Yeah, when it for for the MOP, in my mind, if if it is North Carolina winning the championship, it's because it, it was always going to be Caleb Love um, being the MOP and kind of carrying this team. I talked about it earlier. This team is always going to go as as far as Caleb Love goes. And it's it's a it's a scenario where like when that game was getting down to the winding moments and there's there's 40 seconds left. Mark Williams misses both those free throws. North Carolina has a chance to really take hold of the game. There was no doubt in my mind who, who was taking that shot for North Carolina. And you get a, a ball screen with Leaky Black gets a switch. The, se the second he got a switch, in my mind, I was like, oh, yeah, he he's pulling this for sure. And then it goes in, and 
it's just, it's just always going to be Caleb Love, I think, if if Carolina wins for the the most outstanding player. And then I think it comes down to who the team would vote in, in a scenario with uh, team MVP, because I think a lot of these guys, I don't know if you're allowed to vote for yourself, but I get the sense that a lot of these guys would would try to vote for themselves. So it would be, you know, six through six through ten kind of breaking the votes. Have you guys seen the picture of that shot? I didn't realize how close Mark Williams actually was to the ball. Like, and it was it was a it was a pretty late contest by him too. Right, I, he, it's inches, not even maybe it's, maybe three inches. It seemed like he was kind of surprised that Caleb was gonna pull that shot, and then he tried to recover late, and you just see the his wingspan and what makes him such a um, enticing NBA prospect. Um, but Caleb Love doesn't need too much room to get that shot off. All right. Two things before we wrap up here. One, seven assists on 27 baskets yesterday for Carolina. Obviously unconventional conventional compared to what they did in Fort Worth. Um, and it was just significantly below their season average. Is it a situation tomorrow where Kansas kind of allows better ball movement just in the way they play defense? Or is it UNC just need to take what Kansas gives them? Is it something they should try to force? Or what do you guys views on how the ball moves tomorrow before shots go up? Well, I think part of it was late in the game. Uh, as we talked about earlier, Caleb did a really good job of getting to the basket. Um, so that that limits your assist numbers. But the other component of it is, too, uh, Duke really dominated points in the paint. I mean, it was 48-26. Carolina had 26 points in the paint. Uh, and a lot of those points were off second-chance points. So uh, if you look at what Baycott did, he had 11 points on three of 10 shooting. You, know, you would think he's not going to have that, that off of a night. So all that to be said, there were different components that kind of went into that. Um, I did think Duke did a pretty good job defensively and it made it challenging for North Carolina. Uh, Carolina had some really poor live ball turnovers that cost them just some poor passes. So they do need to clean it up, take care of the ball better, make some better decisions. Uh, but yeah, I don't think Carolina played poor offensively. I don't think it got into a situation where they were playing, you know, yellow ball, uh, hero ball, like we've seen in the past. I just think there were different components that kind of went into that assist number being so low. Yeah, and I think just kind of building off that point, it, it seems very unlikely, like Greg was mentioning, that you would get two pretty below-average games from from both Armando Baycott and Brady Manick. I think it's it's easy to underestimate how tough of a matchup Brady Manick had on on the defensive side of the ball and how much energy and effort and attention goes into guarding somebody like Paolo Banchero for, for 40 minutes. Um, so if, if I was looking for somebody who's going to, who's going to see an increase in their production, it would be somebody like Brady Manick who, who might not have to worry as much on the defensive side of the ball, but we've, we've seen from um, in Carolina games, the, the two areas of weakness where teams try to exploit um, the Tar Heels, it's, it's backing down Brady Manick and trying to back down R.J. Davis like Duke was doing pretty successfully with somebody like Trevor Fields. Armando had 21 rebounds, and we're saying he had an off night, and that's, that's where he's come this far this season. 
Uh, I agree on the Brady Manic comment. I mean, Bancaro is a beast, 6'10", 250. And um, if he would get somebody in his ear to um, do what he does about a third of the games, he would be elite, uh, beyond elite. But Manic's ability to play positional defense and force him into some ugly shots um, definitely has always been a key. So, Greg, just looking at the Kansas matchup, um, who who do you think they put on Manic to address that? Because Manic will kill you from the corners, and he's done it repeatedly in the tournament. Um, Kansas, you know, McCormack can't guard him or won't guard him unless Baycott's out. So where are those matchups in reverse? We're talking about Carolina guarding them. What about the other way around? Yeah, I think it's got to be probably just Jalen Wilson, um, a bigger guy, but he's, he's athletic. Uh, you know, I think the advantage for, for Brady is when uh, Lightfoot comes in because Lightfoot's, you know, he, he's a fine player. He's okay, but he's, he's not a great athlete. Um, he's a little bit limited on that end. And with Brady's quick release and the way they've been running him off screens, you would think he can capitalize on that matchup uh, whenever Lightfoot's in the game. Uh, but as we talked about earlier, Kansas has a lot of athletes. Um, and I don't know that there is one particular position that Carolina has a true advantage. Now, on the flip side, I don't know that there's one particular position that Kansas has a true advantage with the way both of these teams are playing right now. So what all you're trying to do is, is at, each, at each position, you want your guy to at least have a slight edge over the course of the game. That's all you're looking for. And if you have enough of those to build up, that, that helps. Um, and with you know, Baycott, with him being the dominant rebounder that he's become, um, I really think second chance points is going to be the, the difference in this game. Uh, it helped North Carolina against Duke. It helped North Carolina against UCLA. Uh, and I think if, if – how many times have we talked about that for a North Carolina team, right? Uh, but I think if Carolina wins this game, that's going to be a, a statistical category that weighs heavily in, in Carolina's favor. Yeah, and from, from, from the final four teams, these were the two teams that had the biggest average margin of victory in the tournament. So it, it's, it's almost a wash at every position. I think it's, it's pretty close between the, the two coaching staffs, which is crazy to say when you, when you think back to – uh, this early part of the season and some people wanting coach Davis out after 17 games after that Wake Forest game. Um, but he's done, he's shown a, a ton of growth to where he, he's kind of putting himself into that next category with, with how um, effective every coaching decision he has made in late game scenarios and adjustments he's made at halftime. So I think, I think these two teams, when, when you look at a bracket, a lot of times, you're like, oh, like how did this team get in here? They kind of snuck in. I think these two teams are, are the most two deserving teams, and um, it really wouldn't surprise me if either team won on Monday. All right, so this question was posed to me on Twitter from Noah Asbill. Is Hubert Davis the greatest recruit Roy Williams has ever brought in? Greg Barnes. He loved, Greg, you love some hyperbole. Go with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, come on. Tyler Hansbrough's one of the greatest players ever <laughs> ever play at the ACC level, right? 
Um, look, you got to give Roy credit. And I haven't talked to Roy about it. I haven't kind of drilled down into it. But as Hubert said the other day, like this was the first time he's ever had a job interview. And the reason why is, is that when he was at ESPN, Roy came to him and said, hey, I want you to be on my staff. Now, did Roy have the foresight back then that I think Hubert's a guy that potentially can be my successor? Because as soon as he brought Hubert in, he put him on the JV squad coaching. I mean, if he did that, uh, that's pretty incredible. Uh, you know, so we, we haven't had those conversations, but certainly what Hubert has done with this team is phenomenal. You have to give him a ton of credit. There's, we've talked about uh, roster turnover, right, during the course of the season and how next year is going to look. Caleb has made himself a ton of money in this tournament. The same can be said about Armando. I think we can have a conversation about Leaky Black. Now, is he an NBA guy? Maybe, maybe not. But he has played as well as he ever has. His ceiling is not ever going to be higher. And so does he still consider coming back? I don't know. Point being, there's going to be a lot of turnover this offseason. And so the next step for Hubert beyond the coaching component is how does he handle his roster in the world of transfer portal? Everybody loves Brady Manick for good reason, uh, but Dawson Garcia didn't work out, and Justin McCoy, you know, is is getting a few minutes a game. Let's put it like that. So the next step for Hubert is figuring out all these components. But in terms of coaching, he, he's been phenomenal. Yeah, and I have to I have to back up one of my guys when you're talking about Roy's best recruits. And I would say it's somebody like Marcus Page. I'm, I'm going to defend my guys until until the death of me. The program, you know, who, who knows where the Carolina program goes if uh, they don't have somebody like him to stabilize. But it, it's at we're at the point where you can't say enough good things about Coach Davis and, and the job he's done with this North Carolina team. I agree with all that. Um, it's interesting. Um, we've talked about a lot over the last few years of there being sort of a block with Carolina playing Kansas and somebody posted, I think it was Mark Williams, not that Mark Williams, the, the Mark Williams that actually, uh, he's always hit, in our chat that it can hit free throws at the end of the game on the YouTube <laughs> chat. And he makes, and he makes a, he, he has a good, uh, he has a good point. Uh, Roy Williams, two successors play tomorrow night for the national championship. Didn't Bill Self replace Roy Williams in Kansas? He did. Hubert Davis followed Roy Williams. This is the uh, Roy Williams retirement tour. This is how it really works. Did you see hey, the I posted, basketball team? I posted my story today about Stickergate. Yes, oh, I saw. Oh. Yeah. So. See, he, he told me to ask that so question. So is he wearing a sticker tomorrow? I think, I think this is one game where Roy Williams – uh, will be all out Carolina. The, the, any the, question. the tweets where it's like Roy Williams house divided game. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? This is, this is North <laughs> Carolina. Yeah, it is. A, it is. A, it's crazy how it works in college basketball. And it's been one heck of an NCAA tournament, one heck of a run for Carolina um, and one heck of a run for inside Carolina as everybody on staff has kicked out some serious content VIP doing his thing all over New Orleans. Greg Barnes just doing Greg Barnes things. 
Even this little guy. I mean, we. My nephew. Somebody oh said on the tweet. We are <laughs> going into the due game. We were begging for ten thousand subscribers, and I'm pretty sure we might have hit thirteen k during this live. Which, with Vips content, with the lives, also seventy five percent of people watching this are not subscribed. So subscribe to see all of Vips' great stuff. You might even see a Greg Barnes stand up tomorrow with Vip. Um, I know Greg loves doing those. And so, I and I want to thank the Kansas fans that are in the chat. Um, you know, bring your friends. Um, watch us later in the week as we talk about this Carolina game and this Kansas game in the national championship. It should be a it should be a fun week at Inside Carolina. A fun night. We got a spring game on Saturday. Down in New Orleans. Oh, we're not talking about that yet. We'll talk about the spring <laughs> game um, as it gets to it. Greg Barnes, you covering the spring game on Saturday? I'll be there. You, you I sure, you're not going to be in Augusta? <sighs> you know, it's so hard to get Augusta tickets, but I will tell you this. If, if Carolina wins the national championship on Monday and Tiger Woods tees off on Thursday – Forget about the Duke game. We're talking about one of the greatest stretches of, of sport in, in my lifetime. <laughs> it is absolutely true. There's nothing like National Championship Week leading into the Masters. Jim Nance, the best, the best job on the planet for yeah, this, this week alone. Speaking of lifetimes, I feel like I've lived 10 of them between Philadelphia and New Orleans. At where this are point. we? Yeah, where are we, Taylor? <laughs> I was talking with Greg earlier, and he was, he was talking about how Dewey was flying in from Colorado. He was like, it's only two hours away. And my mind completely blanked. I had no recollection of where we were when we were inside the, the media room in the in the Superdome. So it's just it's just been one of those weeks, but it's it's been fun every step of the way. Indeed it has. It's always fun. It's always fun to talk to you guys. Um, safe travels. And by that, I mean safe travels from the media hotel for the five-minute walk. Three-minute walk. To the, uh, to the arena you got there. These steps add up. <laughs> good, good luck getting out of the parking deck if you try to do it after the game. That was incredible last night. That was nuts. We were, like, herding, like, cattle. It, it, they do basketball right. They do Bourbon Street right. They do not do parking decks right in New Orleans. <laughs> um, I don't know how Saints fans do it, but it's been a pleasure. Guys, it's always fun. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. Gregory Hall is trying to get home for curfew. Uh, Greg, we'll talk again soon. <laughs> <laughs>